Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. It was a hot one today, wasn't it? <clears throat> mm. uh, just so you know, I've been meaning to uh, to mention this. <clears throat> we are we uh, generate all of our electricity through solar, through a lot of solar. So when we run the AC, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Uh, this is this is the place to be on a hot day. Right in the meditation hall, isn't that? Just waiting for you. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so here we are, the end of your first day, first full day. Just got just this one thing. First day isn't usually. <laughs> A bliss trip, exactly. Uh, just want to first take a, a barometer uh, temperature check in the room on this hot day. Um, how many people were sleepy today? Raise your hand. Oh, look around. You weren't the only one. Uh, restless? Anyone restless? Hey. Aches in the body? Yeah. Hmm. Busy mind? You're doing great. <laughs> right on schedule. Um, and that's what the first day or two, sometimes three, but uh, first couple of days at least are all about just settling in and uh, what I think of it as a detox from stimulation uh, and you're in this whole new setting and situation with a, a bed that you've not been in before. Maybe you have a roommate uh, and a schedule that's a bit daunting. Uh, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. Um, and so it's natural that you might have some 
resistance and settling in, especially when what you're told to do is sit still and watch your mind, or at least be here in the, in the moment and you get to watch your mind. Um, it's humbling. And, um, and so often a question on the first day is, um, why did I think this was a good idea? Or <laughs> some variation of that. And if you've done a retreat before, uh, you might have remembered the very end of the last retreat when, oh, so, so sweet. I want to get more of that. And sometimes you forget about those first few days that you probably went through on the previous retreat too. And if this is your first retreat, um, then it's certainly all new. And just know that there's a lot of people here who've done a lot of retreats, so there must be a value to to doing this. Uh, But it's not easy at the beginning. And I... I wanted to uh, talk tonight uh, about um, one way to understand how this whole process unfolds. Uh, And it's using one of the many uh, classical lists, one of my favorite lists to, to understand the process and unfolding of practice. And that is the five spiritual faculties. And this list um, can be thought of as um, both a a list of balancing qualities as well as a, a linear unfolding. So I'll first mention the balancing aspect. Uh, One could say the whole practice is a question of balance. That was an old Moody Blues album title, one of my favorites, but it was right on. A question of balance. How can I balance, how can I meet this moment with balance without toppling forward, without uh, trying to grasp, without pushing away and fearing and... and, um, not being willing to open to the moment. How can I be here and, uh, and be balanced and allow for my life to unfold? So the five of these spiritual faculties um, in this teaching are faith, um, energy, and effort or effort and energy sometimes used interchangeably, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And mindfulness is always the the factor, the quality that balances whatever list it's in, whether it's the um, this list or the seven factors of enlightenment or other lists. Mindfulness is a balancing factor. And then those other two pairs... Faith balanced with wisdom. If there's too much faith, but not a wisdom that is looking deeply into reality, then it just becomes blind faith. But if there's more of an analysis, a cerebral uh, inspection of things without a, a quality of heart, then it becomes very dry and can often lead to doubt and just spinning our wheels and trying to figure things out. <clears throat> so those two qualities are, need to be in balance. And effort or energy and concentration need to be balanced. If there is too much energy but not enough stilling the stilling quality of focus and concentration, then we get very restless. If there's too much stillness coming from a a focused mind, but not real energy, then we uh, fall into sleepiness 
and, um, and drifting along. So when those are unbalanced, there's a, a real um, ripening. They work together. And mindfulness cultivates them all and brings them all into balance. <clears throat> when there's a lot of energy and we bring mindfulness to it, then it, it cools that down a bit. Or when there's um, more concentration than energy or effort, and you're really attentive, it brings energy. And the same, it works with the other pair as well. So that's one way to understand. The other way, which I want to get into with you, is seeing this natural unfolding of practice. <clears throat> it's, it's not as neat as linear, first you do this, then you do this, then you do this. They work together, but um, there is a natural development that um, it's helpful to understand. And one of the reasons that I like to share this talk at the beginning, both to uh, see that arc of practice, is it also um, is a chance to share some important uh, issues that come up in, uh, in practice, which I hope will be helpful. So first, it starts with this quality that's often translated as faith. The word in the teachings is sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A, which means to put one's heart into something. It's a heartfelt kind of quality. And along with faith, for some people, the word faith is very triggering. It can remind you of whatever you were, religion you were raised in, whether it's Sunday school or Hebrew school or whatever. And that might have been really inspiring, but it might also have some, um, some vestiges of, of resistance. Um, so alternatives to the word faith are trust, confidence, conviction, a kind of heartful sense that you're willing to show up for the process, uh, not because of something that you read in a book, or maybe if what you read in a book really inspires you, then perhaps, but not just because somebody says, oh, this, is, this, will, this will be helpful for you. But at some point, in order to keep on doing this for a day or five or six days, you've got to really have some kind of um, motivation and inspiration for doing it. <clears throat> and often we come to practice because there's this sense of um, something has touched us deeply, inspired us, whether it's a talk that you heard or a book that you read or a teacher that you've followed and been inspired by or a friend who somehow you've seen the, the fruits of practice, somehow something's touched you to say, okay, I'm going to check this out for myself. <clears throat> for me, I'll share just a little bit. Personally, um, I was motivated in, in 1974 after reading a book, called Be Here Now by Ram Dass. Anybody read, ever read that book? Okay. If you're in my generation, you possibly, you probably have. And a whole generation was, was led to the Dharma through that book. And um, hmm, that changed my life. And I'd been carrying it around like a Bible for about three years when I heard about this spiritual summer camp in 1974 in Boulder, Colorado called Naropa Institute. Now there's Naropa University. 
where uh, Ramdas was going to be. Uh, and I said, wow, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to meet the person who, who has spoken to me. And I asked him, I had been doing a number of different kinds of um, meditation. Uh, I had done transcendental meditation for a few years. Um, the Beatles were into transcendental meditation. And John Lennon was my hero. And I figured if it was good enough for him, I'll do it too. And I did TM for a few years, but it didn't quite scratch the itch. But when I went out to, um, uh, to Naropa and I met with Ramdas, who later became one of my main, my two main teachers, I said, hey, well, what about meditation? Because um, I know that he had recommended that. And he said, go check this guy Goldstein out. He's pretty good. Who and Joseph Goldstein had just come from uh, seven years in India and was teaching that summer. And I went to his class, Essential Buddhism, and I sat down. And after a few minutes of kind of judging the package, well, he didn't look, didn't have long flowing locks. And he didn't look so different from me. He sounded like he was from New York. I was from Queens. And so this is it. About 10 minutes into that, I just really heard what he was saying. And he was saying it's possible to not be run by your neurotic thoughts, which had never occurred to me as a possibility before. And I was in a lot of suffering. It looked good on the outside, but inside I had a lot of suffering. I didn't like myself very much. And was very shy and insecure, and, but I, I longed for something deeper. And he said, it's possible. And after about 10 minutes, not just what he was saying, but the way he was, I, I'm just getting in touch with it now, as I remember, I'm just saying, I'm going for it. And I was, I was in a lot of suffering so much that I was really motivated. So if you have a lot of suffering in your life, you've got a really valuable ingredient. I really wanted to see what this is all about and did a lot of retreats those first years. And it was so compelling and I was learning so much and it was so transformative and that's why I love sharing it. But I had what was called bright faith at that point. I was just on fire. You might not have bright faith or you might not be on fire, but maybe you are. But I just invite you to go inside and get in touch with what really moved you, inspired you, whether it was 20 years ago or six months ago, what spoke to you that made you decide, I'm going for this. I want to check this out. And remember that feeling, that excitement, that uh, willingness to step into the unknown. How beautiful. Okay, you can open your eyes. So that is what gets you here. And then you put in the work of actually doing this stuff. So it's more than just a good idea. And when you practice, you see for yourself. It is not easy, but you start seeing more and more. Oh, I'm really learning. I'm really discovering about this body, about this mind, about my habits, about sometimes places of peace. And then it becomes verified faith where you know for yourself, oh, this is, it's not just theory. As the Buddha says, he says, come and see for yourself. 
Don't believe anybody. Don't even believe the Buddha. Come and see for yourself. And then when you see for yourself, oh, I may be getting a little bit kinder, a little bit more trusting, a little bit more understanding of my habits in a kind way, whatever it is, it becomes verified faith, which in turn develops into unshakable faith. And that's a process. If the word faith, as I say, doesn't really resonate with you, then you might think in terms of trust, just trusting in the process, trusting in awareness itself, not that everything is going to work out just the way you want, but trusting the more and more you have um, you see you have the capacity to meet the moment. You can trust that your awareness will meet the moment, that moment when it comes. And that is mm, an extraordinary power that you give to yourself when you start to trust in the awareness, not trust in James figuring everything out, but, oh, the awareness can meet this moment. And that kind of trust in the process leads you to the second of these faculties, which is energy or the willingness to put in the effort to do this. And it does take effort. Uh, and the word in Pali is virya. And there's a kind of strength in that that, okay, I'm going to show up. I'm going to put my heart into it and um, make the effort to be mindful. That's what the effort is that we're talking about. So I wanted to talk particularly about this issue of effort. It's one that most every uh, practitioner um, needs to sort out or come to terms with. Because there's often a question, am I, am, I doing, am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? I'm, I'm getting really tight here, or, well, I'm kind of getting laid back. And how much is enough? Anybody have that question come to them? If you didn't raise your hand, uh, it probably will. Um, so, but I just want to maybe uh, save you some hassle. There's no right amount of effort because like everything else, effort is, or I should say energy is um, continually changing. Sometimes you've got a lot of energy Sometimes, particularly at the beginning of a retreat, you're, uh, there's a lot of sleepiness uh, because we're not used to running on our own energy. We're so used to stimulation uh, keeping us going. And so that's natural. And also you get different messages about the way to practice, how much is really enough. I've practiced with... Uh, Burmese uh, masters, maybe I, I mentioned it uh, earlier, who uh, would just say heroic effort, and you know, use the the mental noting is one of the one of the uh, tools, and he would basically say something like, if you feel like your leg is falling off as you're sitting here, just note falling off, falling off, falling <laughs> off, <clears throat> go for it, right. Howie and I know very well what, what it's like to practice like that and practice with him. And there can be a real value to being, having that much courage and that warrior-like quality if you remember to keep it light, if you can remember to not go in over your head. But there's that message or... The, the, the statement, practice like your hair is on fire, is a, is a classic statement. Whew. 
okay. And then you hear other messages completely different. Maybe I can, if I can pull up something here. Yeah, here it is. This is from a, a great Tibetan uh, master, Gendon Rinpoche, who says, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Only our searching for happiness will prevent us from seeing it. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. A bit different than practice like your hair is on fire, right? They tell you that, by the way, that's a, he's a, a great Dzogchen master. And after you do preliminary practices of 100,000 prostrations and mantra recitations and visualizations, then they say, just relax. (laughs) And so they both have their value, but ultimately the more you effort and try, the more tight you get. So it's gotta be a balanced effort. This is from another uh, um, Theravadan master, um, Utejaniya about right attitude for meditation. He says, when meditating, both the the mind and the body should be comfortable. If the mind and the body are getting tired, something is wrong with the way you're practicing and it's time to check the way you're meditating. The meditating mind should be relaxed and at peace. You cannot practice when the mind is tense. Don't focus too hard, don't control neither force nor restrict yourself. Don't try to create anything. See a few of these. Don't feel disturbed by the thinking mind. You're not practicing to prevent thinking, but rather to recognize and acknowledge thinking whenever it arises. Relax. He says, relax. So you get these different messages and you say, well, how do I know what's the right one? They're both right. Because it does take effort to come here into the moment. It doesn't happen on itself. You know, I I heard a, a great Tibetan master once describe this practice as manual labor, where you're wandering, come on back. All right, you know, all right, come on back again, you know. Or he, he called it sometimes one insult after another. You, know. you see your mind, and it's hard to stay here in the present at first. After a while, you see, oh, wow, why would I want to be anyplace else? But it takes the effort and the willingness to bring yourself back. But once you're here, any extra effort is extra. Then you just relax and be here. <clears throat> and so this is the key is a balance of effort, not too tight, not too loose. And there's a classical story of the Buddha talking to one monk who was having a really hard time, is really trying hard and winding himself into knots. And, um, and he said, you know, this is just, this is not working. And the Buddha recalled that he'd been a musician before he took on robes. And he said, weren't you a musician before you joined the order? Yes, I was. He said, well, what instrument did you play? And he said, oh, I, I played the lute. And the Buddha in his brilliance said, oh, well, what happened when you would tighten the strings too much? And he said, oh, I wouldn't get the right note. It was too high. What happened if the strings were too loose? Oh, again, I didn't get the right note. It was, it was too low. And he said, just the same way with practice. You don't want to get too tight. You don't want to get too loose. 
And you find the balance of effort, which changes from time to time, that will help you be here in the moment just the way you are and just the way it is. So letting go of right or wrong is a very big understanding in practice and just seeing, oh, what do I need right now to show up? Maybe I need to really find the courage and muster to be with my experience. Maybe I need to chill out and go for a mindful walk and just relax. Maybe I need to go for a cup of tea. Maybe I need to really be with what's here and, and, uh, and explore. No right or wrong. Just ask yourself, what do I need? And if you're coming from that place of sincerity and really listening, trust it. That's good practice. Sometimes we judge our effort by what our practice looks like. You know, oh, I'm not having a whole lot of thoughts now. I must be doing really good. Yeah. Oops, that was a thought. Uh, Oh, I am doing good. Yeah. Okay. Or, oh, my mind is everywhere, or I'm just having so many emotions. Uh, Oh, I'm just such a mess. You can't tell from the inside whether it's good practice or not. And you're not even in control of the show. I hope you're starting to realize that. You know, when you have a pleasant sitting, a good sitting, you know, did you make it happen? It's like grace, okay? No blame, no credit. I remember on one retreat, I, I had this idea we can have all kinds of ideas of what real practice is like. And it was in one of my earlier uh, years of practice. And I was on this retreat and everybody around seemed to be going through boxes of tissues and having big catharses and sobbing and all. And, and it seemed really valuable. And I was just sitting there feeling my breath come in and out. And I went to to Joseph saying, uh, I thought, I don't know if I'm getting my money's worth, but I didn't say that to him. But, you know, what, what am I, what should I be doing? I'm just sitting here feeling my breath. And he said, don't go looking for trouble. It will find you soon enough. (laughs) Very wise advice. And so you let go of any kind of program of what, it's supposed to look like and how you should be doing. And the real key is sincerity. As I once heard the Dalai Lama say, my sincere motivation is my great protection. Just stay in touch with what really will help you put your heart into it. So, faith or trust in the process leading to making the energy to be mindful, leading to the third of these five faculties. You've probably heard this word mindfulness from time to time. Now it's just a central word in, uh, in, in contemporary neuroscience and education and um, even business with Google and all Silicon Valley, you know, talking about mindfulness and even the military talks about mindfulness these days. But what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is this purifying factor the key to awakening that cultivates all the beautiful qualities and helps you see directly into the truth of things, into reality. The discourse that all of mindfulness is based on, the Satipatthana Sutta, Satipatthana meaning the path of mindfulness. The Buddha starts out by saying, 
there is one direct way for overcoming lamentation, grief, pain, anxiety, despair, and realizing the highest happiness possible. That is the development, the establishment of mindfulness. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's an amazing statement. How somehow he figured out this is the key to just be present in a skillful way with your life's experience. And so I wanted to share a few things about mindfulness. One is that mindfulness is simply knowing what's here without getting caught in how we think things should be or how we hope things won't be. Mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening right now. And I'll take you through two simple exercises to uh, just show you um, how mindfulness works. Here's one I like to do. Just put your arm out in front of you like this. And move it slowly back and forth. Close your eyes as you do this and put all your attention on feeling the movement. Right now, is there any worry? Any fear? Feeling the movement. Any past? Any future? You're just feeling the movement. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, you didn't need anything to make it a better moment if you were really there for it. You didn't need to take anything away. It's just being here, and it's a very restful, complete experience. And you can have that same, um, that same experience, whether you're feeling the breath, or you're hearing a sound, or you're feeling a sensation, or even if you're feeling an emotion or you're noticing the thoughts coming and going, oh, this is what's happening now. When you're not in struggle or contention with your experience, oh, this is what's here. And there's an awareness that can be with it. So that's one way that it works. Here's another way. Mm-hmm. Particularly around thoughts where we tend to get lost. Close your eyes. Bring to mind somebody in your, your life who you perhaps have some strong feelings for one way or another. And as you think about them, just get in touch with the feelings that come up. And now become aware that you're in a room full of a a lot of other people and we're all sitting here and we're making pictures in our minds. We're just making pictures. Okay, you can open your eyes. You notice any difference between being in the middle of the movie and realizing, oh, the mind is creating a movie. That Stepping back is a moment of mindfulness where you might want to keep on creating the movie. Sometimes there's valuable thoughts. But for the purposes of the meditation, we're learning to see all thoughts just coming and going and coming and going. And then we have a greater chance to choose with which thoughts we want to energize and which thoughts we don't need to... um, yeah, to keep on feeding. So that's, that's one way that it works. You are waking up to reality and not getting lost in your thoughts. And you're just being here for things as they are. And that 
can be done in many different ways. The Buddha in that discourse talks about, um, he talks about mindfulness of the body. He talks about mindfulness of um, uh, mind states like anger and fear and love and whatever. Oh, just to be aware of that. He talks about mindfulness of the pleasantness or unpleasantness of experience. And he also talks about understanding how the whole thing is put together and how we get caught and how we get confused. So there's lots of ways to be mindful. And there's also lots of lenses to open to experience. There's being mindful of the subtleties of the breath. There's being mindful of your steps as you walk is being mindful of eating is being mindful of mind states too. Even states like fear, being mindful of fear is just as liberating a moment of mindfulness as being mindful of the breath or being completely lost and confused. If you put the whole thing into one big package and notice Oh, confusion, that's what's happening. Confused Buddha, sometimes I say. Oh, it's confused Buddha right now. I might be confused, but I'm clearly confused. Yeah. <laughs> I'm clear about it. Oh, confusion. Okay. So it's not to think that any one way to be mindful is better than another way. That's where whatever you're doing is the next moment to wake up to. There's always this moment inviting you. <clears throat> Let's see. I'll mention one, one more thing about mindfulness, which can be so helpful, and that is um, letting go of figuring things out. Mindfulness is not figuring things out as much as we want to. And here's a beautiful note that a yogi wrote to me many years ago who she kept on trying to come up with answers and kept on telling her, you don't have to figure it out. At the end of the retreat, she got it and she wrote me this note. The one thing that is indelible in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. Just today, when I was walking, doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round, those words came into my mind. Oh, I don't have to figure it out. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And I thought to myself, the rest will balance itself out in its own time. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. So if you have that tendency to try to get to the bottom of things, let go. Just open to this moment as it is and trust that the understandings come from that spaciousness of mind, not by figuring things out. Okay, so faith or trust leading to the effort to be mindful, leading to a developing concentrated mindfulness. I want to talk a little bit about concentration. Concentration is a, is a kind of collecting unification of the attention that happens as you keep on bringing yourself into the moment. There's a kind of momentum that develops at the beginning. It's that manual labor, but as you keep on mm, Landing here, bringing yourself back to the present, you start to get the idea, oh, it's nice to be here. It's kind of more interesting being here. And there's a kind of momentum that 
builds on itself. So the key to concentration is continuity. And the image that has been, been used for many years is that of putting a, a tea kettle on the stove. You put it on the stove to boil. If you keep taking it off every 30 seconds or minutes, minute, is it boiled yet? No, it's not. No, no, still not boiled. It's going to take a while. But if you keep it on, sometimes the flame, even if sometimes the flame is low, sometimes it's higher, after a while, it'll cook. That's what you're doing here. And that's why continuity is so, such a key. That's why, as I said, when you get up from the sitting, let going to the lobby and getting your shoes be a meditation in itself. Or when you're in your room and you're brushing your teeth, let that be as sacred an act as sitting here in the hall and feeling your breath. Every moment counts, but you don't want to pounce on the moment and, and be tight around it. Remember that balance of effort. You can do the whole thing like a dance so that it's one moment into another, into another. Um, I'm, I'm having this image that I, I often have of, if, if you've ever seen lyrics across a screen and there's like the bouncing ball between the lyrics, you know, make it like that or just a very loving connection with the moment at a pace that works for you. And if you keep on just resolving to come back each time, that's your end of the deal. Like training that puppy dog that, that uh, Howie mentioned this morning, just come on back each time. After a while, you land. And here's the thing. As you develop more mindfulness, you see more and things are more interesting to pay attention to. And then you want to be here. So it builds on itself. But if you keep taking the kettle off the stove, it's not so interesting. The mindfulness isn't strong and boredom sets in. We want something a little bit more enticing than the present moment. And then you are not as apt to be here. So there's a choice point in every moment. As long as you keep resolving to come back in continuity. And here's the key for me around concentration. About making that, that effort. And that is let yourself be interested. Be like a child. A childlike wonder. That's one of my main. I have two main games that I play with myself. In... Mm, mustering up the mindfulness. One is imagining that I'm a baby, taking my first breath or walking. Oh, what is walking like? Wow, you weren't born knowing how to walk. You had to figure it out after a while. Bring that childlike wonder and spirit. And the other game I play with myself, this is true confessions. It might sound a little weird. I often imagine that I'm an alien that's just dropped into this body on planet Earth. What is walking like for these guys? You know? Oh, what is breathing? You know? It's my little game that brings a freshness to it. And if you can get in touch with your natural curiosity that you came into this world with, that is the key. Then you're not trying hard to be mindful. You're just noticing, oh, wow, this is keeping me alive. How interesting. So interest, continuity, resolve to come back is the key. My teacher, uh, Joseph, used to have this acronym. I don't know if he still uses it. Uh, NPMs. That was, that's another little game I would play. 
noticings per minute. And I would just see how many noticings I could have in each minute. You know, there was no failing this. It was just, oh, let's see. And it was my little incentive. Okay. And you string those enough together and it starts to develop and kick in that momentum on its own. And you have what's called moment to moment concentration, Kanaka Samadhi, rather than getting laser like in one pointed focus, you're here from one moment to another, to another, to another. And it's, it's really delicious when that happens. And when it does, don't get attached because it's not going to stay there, but enjoy it while it's there. And you're going in this slope of more and more presence. Okay, so now we're on to the fifth of the faculties. Faith leading to effort and energy, effort to be mindful leading to mindfulness, mindfulness developed a concentrated mindfulness leading to wisdom. What is wisdom? There are many dimensions of wisdom. This is called insight meditation. And it's true. You just pay attention and life will keep on revealing itself to you. It will reveal itself as far as understandings about your past, about all kinds of habits that you see on a personal level. And those are wonderful when they occur. The deepest kind of wisdom that the Buddha was talking about in this teaching are understanding three aspects of reality, what are called the three characteristics of existence. And you don't have to wait for your, you know, fifth or 10th retreat to get this. It can be an ongoing investigation. First characteristic is that everything is changing. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how many different moods have you gone through today? Maybe it's been one mood on the air, but maybe it's been, oh, hey, this is okay. Oh, oh, look at the turkeys. Oh, look at the lizards. And oh, 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 but then there's that. All over the place. Have you seen, how many people have seen a lot of moods today? That's it. Don't miss the fact that it's changing. How many thoughts have you had today? How many different sensations have you had today? It's all changing. And this is not just an intellectual understanding. Oh yeah, things change. You're seeing for yourself that things change. And that the more and more you see it and the more and more you, it's an embodied experience of it. Then your relationship to reality changes because you see there's no trying to get to some magical destination. It's learning to be here for the ride. So that's the first, everything changes. Second characteristic, trying to hold on to changing experience is a surefire prescription for suffering. Doesn't that make sense? Okay, it makes sense here. But to really get it here is a whole other thing. To notice how attachment to the way things should be or are is creating all of the pain and sorrow and suffering for us. Wanting things to be different than the way they are or wanting them to stay in this changing world. And this second one is called dukkha, suffering, or un, the unsatisfactoriness 
where there's no lasting happiness that can be found, just check it out for yourself. And the third of these characteristics is seeing that you yourself are this changing experience. All of those sensations and thoughts and emotions and all of it, you are change. There's not a fixed you to whom life is happening. You are life expressing itself as a changing flow. Instead of thinking of yourself as a noun, here, let's just do a very quick experiment just before we we end. Try this. Go inside. And we often think of ourselves as somebody, a noun, to whom life is happening. So first, get in touch with your nounness. Yep, that's me. And now just shift your perspective and see yourself as a verb, as a fluid flux of life, sensations, thoughts, emotions, all just happening in continual change. All of the biological systems inside from your nervous system to your circulatory system to your immune system fighting off invaders. There's so much happening without you even tuning into it. You are a verb. Yes, you're a noun, but you're a verb as well. And just feel the the solidity start to dissolve a bit. And this is a tremendously freeing understanding. You can open your eyes if you'd like to see that, yes, there's me, there's James, there's you, but it's not as solid as you might think. And you can kind of play at being you when you realize, oh, it's just life expressing itself through me as me. And that is tremendously liberating. That's the understanding of anatta, the selfless nature of reality. Those are the deepest, highest wisdom understandings. Here's a beautiful poem by Daniel Ballas. You are but a collection of atoms working together in temporary harmony before being dispersed back into the universe. Your earthly task is to help those atoms radiate. Imagine the simplicity. You need not achieve anything but gently glow. I'll read it one last time. You are but a collection of atoms working together in temporary harmony before being dispersed back into the universe. Your earthly task is to help those atoms radiate. Imagine the simplicity. You need not achieve anything but gently glow. This is really very simple. Just being present for life as it expresses itself through you and around you. And putting in that trust in the process and the effort to be mindful and developing a concentrated mindfulness that penetrates our usual sleepwalking to discover that for yourself. That's what we're doing. And it's a miracle that somehow it's been discovered and we're fortunate enough to discover for ourselves.
So let's just sit for a few moments. you for your kind attention. So there's walking now for about 25 minutes or so. We'll come back for one last sitting and do a, a little chanting um, at, the, uh, at the sitting and maybe share a little something to tuck you in at night. So come on back and you don't have to wait for for me to, to go, because it'll take me a while to go. So enjoy the night air. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.